Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, from blowout quarter to blow-off top, shares of NVIDIA blasting off of the open before coming down to earth. Did that failure to launch trigger today's jittery action? A deep dive on the struggles we're seeing at Disney, Starbucks, and Nike. What does it mean for the economy and the consumer? Keeping an eye on rates ahead of Chair Powell's big speech tomorrow. Boeing's new troubles with the max. Automakers hitting the skids as strike fears ramp up. I'm Carl Quintanilla in for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money live at the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and guest trader Cameron Dawson. Nice to be back, guys. Thank you for having me. CQ, before we get started, <laughs> the show's going to be, if we make it to January, it's 17 years. And if, let's say another 17 years, people will say that the week of August 21st was Mount Rushmore week. We had Tyler <laughs> Matheson. He's yes. on. And you are on the CNBC Mount Rushmore. No, it's, it's true. It's the reason I come in is to mm. get this. Well, you <laughs> got it. Uh, let's, let's start with NVIDIA. All-time high after blowing the doors off. Uh, the stock did surrender into the close up a dime, taking semis in the broader market with it. AMD, Intel, SMH all falling. Dow and S&P down more than a percent. NASDAQ leads the losses down nearly two. So... Is NVIDIA's 24-hour turnaround a worrisome sign? Dan, what do you think? Listen, I think it could be for the tech trade that has been so wrapped up in all the excitement about AI, right? And so it really saw it crescendo, I think, over the last month and a half or so. We've talked a lot about July 18th when Microsoft put out this press release about the pricing of their co-pilot, their AI tools. The stock rallied 5% in a straight line in a couple of hours. We were doing the math on the just the market capitalization that it gained, $130 billion. We're like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that reversed lower. It took a lot of the mega caps into Q2 earnings with it. And we were really waiting to see how investors would react to something that we all knew was going to be a blowout. And when you think about NVIDIA and you think about the sorts of growth rates they're going to be able to put up from here on out, they look much less than they did in late May. Then they're going to look you know, today, that sort of thing. And that's what investors start pricing this. And we talked about this early in the week. So who is the incremental buyer of a story that we know is really great right now, but competition is going to be coming online. We don't know if demand is going to stay at this sort of pace. So I just go back to on August 14th, this stock traded $400. This morning, it traded $500. You do that math. Yeah, you can do that math on $1.1 trillion market cap. You know, that, you, you think about it, it's a quarter of a trillion dollars just on the anticipation of that. So there was just no one left to buy it here, Carl. What do you think? I mean, I, uh, I, I, if this action comes after their quarter, I would not have liked to have seen a miss. No, no. And you certainly think it's going to set us up for some kind of digestion. I think that's the best case scenario here. We've moved so far so fast. And then it's a question to your point, Dan, if you start to see a more material slowdown in sales. There is no evidence of that yet because there is no clear competitor yet for them. But I think that's more of a 2024 story. So it sets you up. You digest for a little bit. You grow into this very, very rich multiple for a bit. Maybe you get another leg higher after that digestion if they can hold on to the sales pace. Otherwise, it looks more like a top. Tim, what did you make of, uh, you know, we've made fun of uh, Rosenblatt Street High 1100 today, uh, arguing that it's cheaper today than it was yesterday. Does that make sense to you? 
It does, but I, I think there's plenty of people that can argue that it's it's hardly cheap and that the growth rates that we have in here are not the growth rates. I think this may be what Dan was saying, are not sustainable. Um, and, and But I, I'd prefer to assess NVIDIA from a market context, which is that uh, on the Q1 numbers, uh, the outperformance to the S&P and the relative highs it took uh, the semiconductors to against the S&P uh, immediately, and, and highs that it's had, uh, that that semi uh, SOX index, whatever you're looking at, SMH, has been unable to surpass. And in fact, the reaction last night was completely the opposite, or really today's trading. So uh, the semis underperformed the S&P by about two and a half percent. You saw a straight line down, essentially five percent on the SMH. And, and that's telling in terms of market leadership. Now, we're, we're coming out of a period where after the last three to four weeks going into NVIDIA, I think there's already been a lot of repositioning by equity investors, both in terms of what's been going on with the rates markets and, and where they have been with the stock market. I think there's so many more people investing in, in equal weight, excuse me, in yeah, equal weight ETS versus market weight. Uh, we've seen a significant move into cash. We get the money market data. So was NVIDIA's result and this result um, I think we've all indicated that this was kind of what was expected um, and that I would make an argument that it was a pretty solid uh, market response when you consider it. But but most importantly, the market's not going to trade higher without leadership from mega cap tech and, and semiconductors. And I, and I think this kind of crowned that for the short run, even though I think... I think Jackson Hole actually gives markets some room to rally after some really bad price action in the last yeah. week. We'll talk uh, Jackson Hole in a moment. Uh, Guy, I'm curious to know whether or not you think does this allow you to graduate into some banks here? or what is Banks trade awful. So let's just drill down quickly on NVIDIA and SMH. So 112 million shares are traded today. It typically trades about 50 million. We can do that math as well. Two times normal volume on a day where it opened on the highs, all-time high, and closed effectively on the low of the day. That's not particularly good price action. SMH, which Tim just mentioned, you have a massive double top going back to December 20, December 2021, traded up to 160 and failed, traded up to 160 again, seemingly failing now. AMD had a horrible day. The rest of the semis did as well. It's not an indictment of NVIDIA. It's an indictment of the valuation. And yes, you can make an argument that maybe it's marginally less expensive than it was the day before, but it's still expensive. And the market traded that way. And now you have to ask yourself, who's the incremental buyer? In terms of where there's rotation, I don't know. Banks don't trade particularly well. The yield curve suggests banks aren't going to get a whole lot better anytime soon. And again, if yields start to go markedly higher from four and a quarter to where I think they're going, that's not particularly bullish. So there's no either. other area that's, that's of interest. Healthcare looks really interesting to me. We've talked about that for months. And energy, which is floundering yeah. here, I think is going to have a pickup as we go to year end. Tim makes a great point on leadership. And that, I think, Carl, is what you're getting to. Like, where would you go? Where would money go if it's going to leave these sorts of trades that have really dominated, I think, a lot of the positive price action in the broader indexes over the last, call it, six months or so, really since that kind of SVB blow up in March. You know, and I say to myself, the point about the equal weight S&P, and if you just look at the ETF that tracks it, the RSP, it's sitting right on its 200-day moving average. Okay, so you would say, well, it's come back to support here, right? And if you look at the market, market weight, right? So that's just look at the SPX versus that. It's still seven and a half percent above its 200-day moving average. So it's still very overbought. There's still a lot of excitement or a lot of interest concentrated in some of these big names. And I'll bring it back to Microsoft and Apple that are down about 10% from their all-time highs that were made about five or so weeks ago. I mean, the fever is broken there, right? And so I think it's probably not a bad thing if we were to see semis kind of cool off a little bit. If you look at the SMH, that's the ETF that tracks the semiconductor, 20% of that is NVIDIA. Now, one day does not make a trend, this big reversal, but I definitely 
think that uh, investors who are selling it today because they're like, maybe this is as good as it gets near term, they're not going to be back and buying it tomorrow if it's down another 3%. You're going to wait. And I think your term, uh, Cameron, digestion is probably a good one. Watch beta. Beta is really important. It tends to go up more when the market's up, go down more. But it's a sign of risk appetite and risk taking. We've seen beta underperforming for the last couple of weeks, meaning that even though beta made a new high in July versus the market, it didn't make or an absolute high didn't make a new high versus the market. That divergence is so very important and usually signals that we have more digestion to come. So risk appetite is not there in this market. You haven't seen big deep defensives out perform yet. So think utilities and staples. Those aren't flying like you would in a growth scare. So watch for those for growth estimates. I think that then leaves you with health care if you want to get more defensive as a way that you're not having to reach into the deepest of the defensive. Yeah, that's two health cares. We'll see. Trade well, I think, you know, I think Jim talks about it on your show, which is a great show. By oh, it the is way. a good show. It's right. fantastic. But some of these health care <laughs> stocks have been off to the races. Yep. Now, the problem, of course, is a name like Eli Lilly has gotten really ahead of itself. So you have to assume at some point if the market starts to do a back and fill, Eli Lilly won't be immune from that. But healthcare to me is still a sector you want to be in. Well, uh, we'll see if anything changes tomorrow. Let's talk about the blue skies of Wyoming where clouds are passing over Jackson Hole ahead of tomorrow's Fed summit and big speech from Chair Powell. Will he send the markets into stormy territory or ease their pain? Tim, a lot of discussion this week about... The last decade or so where stocks have been down the couple weeks before Jackson Hole, what happens the week following? What are you, I mean, could tomorrow inflect or not? I, I kind of like the stock, the stock market setup going in and coming out of it, if, if only because we've corrected you know, more than 5% on the S&P, 8% on semis. We've just had this discussion. Um, also, the dollar. If you think about the, a lot of the pain and the indigestion for the market here is coming from the dollar, which has moved 4% from effectively the day that the triple Q's topped. Uh, what can the Fed do to relieve that indigestion? I, I think uh, there's not a lot. I, I, I do expect that there's messaging that will allow us to understand that the Fed uh, has to stay longer. We know that. Um, but that at some point they are going to be data dependent and that we could start to see interest, uh, excuse me, inflation pressures come back. But there's nothing really to me other than the positioning going into this meeting that that can be said here uh, other than bearish rhetoric, which I don't think they need to give here. I think they can take uh, a little bit of a pat on the back in terms of where Fed policy has not pushed us into recession. It was interesting, Dan, Harker's comments, which you would think is was exactly what the bulls would want to hear. We've done enough. Uh, let's give the economy time to absorb these hikes. Didn't really help today. No, it didn't. And, you know, Tim makes a good point about positioning. And, and, and again, it's summer. You know, it's, it's been a long summer. It's been a long year, I think, in the markets here, <laughs> if you think about it. I think a lot of folks would love to see a short speech and not rattle too many feathers. But we've said this a lot on the show. It's like a raging stock market. A couple weeks ago, when the S&P was at 4,600, doesn't make the Fed's job that much easier, right? When you see these kind of unemployment prints, at, you know, the first Friday of every month at like 3.5, 3.6, doesn't make the jobs, you know, the Fed's job that much easier. So I think to me, you know, a nice good old fashioned 10% pullback in the S&P 500 actually does make the Fed's job a little easier for a whole host of reasons. If economic conditions have been pretty good for the most part, I think a stock sell-off might basically give them a little bit of wiggle room. But when the market's raging and, and there's a mania in the stock market and some of the biggest names in the market, it, it, it really is a difficult thing. And going back to that equal weight versus the market cap weight, I look at that 200-day moving average in the SPX down about 200 points from here, and that gets you down to maybe about 10% or so. You know what I mean? Like, 
that's that's pretty good. If you're bullish, you know, you've taken a lot of the froth out of the market. You have a multiple in the S&P that might not be discounting too many rosy scenarios. How do you think about stocks within financial conditions? Because Powell was asked about mm-hmm. the stock market basically daring him in the in Portugal uh, by Sarah yeah. during the, over the summer. Job, he said, I don't really think about it that much. Well, I think he does think about it, but he's not. I mean, I think the stock market is definitely in their purview, but I think it's interesting. I think the put in the S&P is a lot lower than where we are now. I think if there is a Fed put, it comes in the form of unemployment rate, somewhere between 45 and 5%, which we're nowhere near, or the credit market melting down, which we show no indication of. So stock markets in their purview, I just don't think they're that worried about it. In terms of stocks being expensive, this move in bond market is making stocks more expensive by the day. And I'm one of the people, maybe I'm wrong, but this four and a quarter level in the 10 year, I think we're going to go blowing through it on the upside. I'm sort of in the Bill Ackman camp. And if we get closer to four and a half, five percent levels that get us through the hot levels we saw in October, that's going to be problematic for valuations. Uh, for sure. Let's bring in another uh, PIMCO chief economist. Uh, Paul McCauley uh, teaches at uh, Georgetown's McDonough School of yeah, Business. Paul, it's great to have you. Uh, I think your, your general take is that tomorrow will bring a so-called valedictory speech. Can you talk about what that means? I think the the Fed chair is going to say that policy is in a good place, a dramatically better place than he was a year ago. Most significantly, policy is restrictive. Real interest rates are positive and are rising, including at the back end of the curve. So you're in a good place with restrictive monetary policy and inflation is coming down. So I think he's going to signal that we're in the in game of this tightening process. He's not going to declare that uh, we're finished, uh, but he's going to declare that we're in the end game, that we're fine tuning. And then his big message is we're going to stay restrictive until inflation comes down meaningfully. So he's going to shift his, uh, his viewpoint from short term tactics to more of a strategic view of we're going to stay restrictive until inflation and or the labor market uncle. I was going to say, so if you've gone from nine to three with virtually no labor pain, is the message going to be we're going to get it from nine to two with a little labor pain? Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't think he's going to pound the table about that. He's going to reinforce the notion that two is still very much the target. He's going to reinforce the notion he wants to see more softening in the labor market. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, uh, your take on it is is pretty good. Paul, Georgetown's lucky to have Professor- you. We've said that. Let me, <laughs> but I'll say this. There's this belief, I think it's misguided, that beginning of next year, February of next year, we're talking about rate cuts. Under what set of circumstances are there rate cuts in the beginning of next year? And if there are, in my opinion, because something broke. I don't think you can get too early in the year for a cut on the inflation side of things. I think you'd have to get there on unexpected weakness in the real economy and particularly unexpected weakness in the labor market. So I don't think it's inflation that would get you there. It would be the labor market. Uh, And I don't have uh, a sense that that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to slow in the labor market as we have been slowing. But something precipitous, I don't think, uh, is in the cards. Uh, So I really think that the key issue for a cut is later in the year when real rates are going up because nominal rates are steady and inflation keeps moving down. Some would call that a 
passive tightening, which would be unwarranted if it's happening because inflation is coming down. So I think that's the scenario uh, he probably will articulate. Uh, it will not be a scenario of an early ease uh, on inflation data, but you would get an early ease, obviously, if the labor market fell out of bed, which I do not expect. So, Professor Hoya, this is Tim. Based upon all those things you've just said, and you were formerly a, a major, you know, swinging the bond market around at PIMCO, certainly one of the biggest bond shops in the world. Uh, would this be a time for asset allocators to be pushing out the yield curve on the fixed income market, collecting some of these yields, locking in, avoiding uh, reinvestment risk in terms of interest rates that uh, aren't going to collapse? But, but isn't this a decent time for investors to take advantage where they can move up the credit curve, but they can push out the duration curve? And I don't want to get too wonky. The bottom line is it may be time to be investing in high yield fixed income or the higher yielding fixed income markets. I'm not so sure about increasing duration. I would be around neutral relative to a benchmark. Uh, but to be wonk with you, I think the bigger issue is that a barbell of cash and effectively the very long end has been very successful as it always is in a tightening campaign. And I think it's we're coming to the point where you need to sell barbells into bullets and focus your duration exposure in the belly of the curve between three and seven years. Great stuff, uh, Paul. Always good to have you. Thanks so much for staying with us tonight. Uh, Paul McCulley talking about Jackson Hole tomorrow. Cameron, you want to turn that wonkiness into a trade? Yeah. Well, I do think that there comes a point where you do want to sell two years and go long the 10-year. But that is the point when you are seeing the whites of the eyes of a recession. At a 5.9% in Atlanta Fed GDP now today, it's too soon to make that call. So we're sticking to the belly of the curve for now. It's interesting. TLT is right at a level. I mean, that four and a quarter, it's 430-ish levels from October that we topped out at. We blew through it a little bit, but we're right now. So technicians will say classic double top yields are going lower, economy slowing, but then you get this GDP forecast. And wait a second, inflation's still a problem. It's going to go racing through. That's the rub here. And if rates go higher, in my opinion, equities are going to go lower. Yeah. We'll see if Fed Atlanta Fed sticks. It's a crazy number. <laughs> Coming up, a lot more on NVIDIA's Rockstar quarter. Is the options action trading or fading the chip giants move next? Plus, heavy turbulence at Boeing. Shares struggle as these new defects are discovered in the max. Could that derail deliveries? Details straight ahead. But first, after hours action is heating up, a firm Nordstrom gap on the move. We'll dive into those reports when Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on a firm. Shares moving higher after a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Revenue guidance for the quarter also topping estimates. That conference call got underway at the top of the hour. And Kate Rooney has details. Hey, Kate. Hey, Carl. So a firm surprising on the upside, especially when it came to delinquencies. So there had been some fears about consumers being able to pay back those buy now, pay later loans. But credit metrics improved with delinquencies down about 30 basis points. CEO Max Levchin on the call just now talking about some of the cost discipline paying off while still maintaining some of that growth. Revenue grew 22 percent year over year. Gross merchandise volume or GMV was up 25 percent, 5.5 billion. And one measure of unit economics, revenue less transaction costs that came in stronger than expected at 182 million. On outlook, though, Q1 revenue was above consensus, a firm not guiding on full year revenue. They're blaming the interest rate curve, negative consumer sentiment. They think that's going to persist through the end of the fiscal year. Executives also expect student loan repayments resuming to be what they called a modest headwind to 24 volumes. Year uh, Kate, appreciate that. Yep. Uh, Kate Rooney on a firm. Tim, uh, as we're talking, Nordstrom has comments about delinquencies that kind of echo what Macy yeah. said earlier in the week. Does that make a firm uh, more interesting or less? Much less. I, I flagged that as well. It was interesting when Macy's made the announcement and Jeff Jeanette said it, and now Nordstrom is saying it. Nobody's been talking about delinquencies but department stores. And if you think about the buy now, pay later uh, audience and, and the customer base, uh, I, look, I, I think uh, maybe their credit metrics improved this quarter, uh, but this was really about better net interest income and where their expenses got better. I, I wouldn't go near a firm here. Uh, and I wouldn't be investing in that sector. Uh, I think the, the story at Nordstrom is one that's also concerning because think about the cycle that their consumer has been on and their, their target demographic. And, and it, was, it was ideal coming out of COVID or in COVID. Uh, their digital sales are down almost 13% this quarter, year over year. Um, you know, it's, it's just these are trends that we're talking about. Everything we said earlier tonight talking about the consumer and the backdrop here, I, I realize it hasn't been in your face and they still have a job. But we are starting to see it, especially in the weaker stories. If you look at total, if you look at these metrics alone, this stock should be higher. Total transactions, 45 percent up year over year. Active customers, 18 percent up. Year. I mean, I, there are four of them that are all very good. Of course, the problem is loan loss provisions will start to go up, and they're up to now 95 million dollars, and that number is going to continue to go higher. For the last year and a half, two years, every rally in the stock, like the one you're seeing now, which, by the way, just gets us back to what we lost today effectively, has been sold. And I think Tim's right. I think this is going to happen again. 666 again, which is how NVIDIA opened this morning. Doesn't exactly uh, make you feel good. A couple earnings (laughs) alerts on Nordstrom and Gap as well, uh, both beating on the top line. Those calls underway. CNBC's Courtney Reagan is following that action. Hey, Court. Hey, Carl. Yeah, so Nordstrom beating earnings by a really wide margin on, as you said, stronger than expected revenues. The retailer, though, only reiterating guidance despite that really big beat. Revenue was down more than 8% for the year. It wouldn't have fallen that much if you pull out the hit from the Canadian operations and this anniversary sales shift into the third quarter from this second quarter here that was just reported. There was also sequential sales improvement throughout the quarter. The rack sales improved, but we're still down 4%. The Nordstrom business sales fell 10%. Active baby, kids and men's apparel, stronger categories. Inventory down more than 17.5%, and that call is ongoing, as you point out. Gap earnings also beat by a wide margin, but revenue and comparable sales disappointed. Online sales fell 11%. Store sales down 7%. 
Interrepublic and Athleta, those comparable sales, down 8 and 7% respectively. Old Navy down 6%, Gap down just 1%. Now, the global apparel retailer's full-year sales guidance falling well below expectations, noting, quote, the continued uncertain consumer and macro environment. Inventory fell 29%, so that's good. Got that more under control. And CEO Richard Dixon officially took over two days ago, so today's day three. He is on the call, and he reminded investors, quote, that restructuring is challenging and that change of this magnitude doesn't come fast. Transformation is difficult. Still, our people at every level of the organization have stepped up, made tough calls, and championed the progress we've made so far, and we're going to keep going. So uh, big expectations from a leader that is uh, widely lauded from the conversations that I've had with folks. But yeah, he's got a big job in front of him. Back over to you. Cord, thanks very much. Uh, Let's trade that one. Can you believe some of the winners and losers in specialty, at least this week alone? Yeah, I mean, for Gap, it's surprising that they can sit out of the entire boom in 90s fashion, right? It's back in fashion, and yet Gap just sits it out. I think what we're seeing here is that because the consumer is starting to see signs of having to be more choosy and slowing down. Yes, we're seeing real wage growth turn positive, but you're seeing the the consumer run out of excess savings. That is pretty much spent down, which just means that that tailwind that we've had behind the consumer over the past couple of years likely slows. Doesn't mean falling off a cliff. Unemployment's still very low. It just means that they're going to be far more selective. You got thoughts on that? Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, listen, you know, back to school seems disappointing. Um, And then when you think about October and and student loan repayments kicking in, and I know that was a comment that a firm just made that they see it a mild headwind. I suspect for lots of retailers, that's going to be a big headwind. And when you think about what the holiday season is, I, I expect it to be really promotional at a time where a lot of these retailers have gotten some of these disconnects with their inventories, maybe back into control. So I think, you you know, I look at what happened over the last couple of weeks in retail earnings. The only good thing I heard was that Amazon. I mean, like, like that was it. And and maybe they're starting to flex a little bit. And those those retail um, you know margins that they had were pretty good here. It seems like everyone else is doing pretty poorly. But Walmart was okay. Ulta, real quick, was okay as well. You probably get a relief rally there. Nordstrom's though, since the spring of, since March of 2021, 42 dollars stock. I mean, you can go back and look. Lower highs, lower lows, the entire way down. And this move is not going to help that at all. And again, when you look at this report, I mean, operating margins beat. Yeah, that's good. But sales growth, I mean, year over year declines in sales growth, that's not going to change anytime soon. So even if they get their inventories in line, nobody's going in there anymore. We haven't even even talked about shrink. And Nordstrom's had some examples uh, in L.A., which will be a discussion tomorrow, I'm sure. There's a lot more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. Boeing, Boeing, gone. More turbulence for the aerospace giant as new defects have been discovered. Is it time to deplane from this trade? Plus, retail wreckage. A former Walmart top executive says the high-end consumer is nervous here. What red flags is he seeing? He'll join us for the real read straight ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing falling hard today as the aerospace giant warns of these max delivery delays after finding a new quality issue involving its biggest part supplier, Spirit Aerosystems. The issue could put Boeing 737 MAX delivery targets under pressure for the second year in a row, Tim. And a lot of discussion today about uh, a supplier's problem is Boeing's problem. For sure. And, and look, this is tiresome as an investor in Boeing. I mean, some of these safety issues are just another speed bump in the 737. But the reality is this issue apparently has been going on for some time. Uh, SPR says it's not going to affect deliveries. Um, it may affect, uh, look, take it to the bottom line for, for an investor. What goes on with free cash flow here? What's the hit? Uh, I've read, you know, the streets says anywhere from two to 400 million hit in free cash flow. But the story in Boeing really is one of growing free cash flow. And based upon their history, you have to believe they're getting it in a normalizing airline industry. And everything we've heard over the earnings cycle from the airline says that's where we are. So um, you trade this thing from 205 to 10, good six month support. Uh, this is this is not what I wanted to hear. But I think this is largely noise in the long term. Uh, is the backdrop of better travel trends long term, wide body sales to Qantas, or is that good? Yeah, it's great, but this is not a demand story. There is so many airlines clamoring for slot delivery slots. They're pretty much booked out through the de decade. It's never been about demand. It's been about the ability to supply that demand. And these supply issues started long before the pandemic did. The pandemic exacerbated them, but they've been ongoing for some time. And I think it raises the question about culture and leadership at Boeing simply because we've had this underperformance, we've had these continuous supply chain issues that don't seem to be going away. Remember when uh, Southwest started to like think about, well, maybe one day we'll, you know, we could, we could be a, a more than one manufacturer airline. Do you think those days come back? Well, I think if these quality issues may take, I mean, listen, Boeing has, has made their future on this plane. For the most part, you talk about the wide body ones. I mean, that seems to be the icing on the cake. But right. So so when you look at a Southwest, I mean, they need planes like this. They don't need the 777s, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, the more that you have these sorts of issues, the, the more likely they are to second source it. Right. Where's the trade, though? So SPR, Spirit Aerosystems, which is the crux of all of this stock got crushed today. Look at where it is. I don't know if we have a chart. We're at levels we last saw in the summer of 2020, this 18 and a half, 19 level. Stock down big today. At a certain point, people are going to say all the bad news has now been discounted. And for a trade, this is going to get really interesting really quickly, I think. Those are levels where nobody was flying anywhere. No, yeah. Kind of like Disney today. Well, Disney Disney's today. A, yes, yeah. but you're spot on with that. Yeah. Uh, when, when life was essentially shut down. Pretty amazing. Still ahead, we're going to go shopping uh, for retail names, what names we should add and maybe remove from your card here. We'll get those trades for you next. Later on, are you suffering from NVIDIA FOMO? We'll hit the options pits for a look at what uh, the way traders expect that trade to go from here when Fast Money comes back. The Fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks selling off as NVIDIA's post-earnings rally fizzled. Dow and S&P both down more than 1%. Worst day for the Dow since March. NASDAQ nearly 2% move lower. Some more after-hours action. Marvell, Ulta, Workday all on the move after earnings and revenue beats. Speaking of earnings, shares of Dollar Tree plummeting 13%. New 52-week low despite beating on the top and the bottom line. Company cites a weaker consumer. 
The struggle hitting a wide array of consumer names. So far this month, Nike shares down 12, now down 11 days in a row, longest streak ever. Apple down 10%, Disney, Starbucks down 7 For investors, are these moves a sign the high-end consumer is slowing? Let's bring in Bill Simon, former Walmart U.S. CEO, now on the Darden and Haynes Brands Boards. Bill, it's great to have you. We were just talking about Nordstrom tonight, echoing Macy's on these comments about delinquencies. You think the consumer is really in three different persons right now, right? I do, I do. You know, there's, you know, the the high-end consumer who's probably the most confused at this point. Um, the, you know, the middle, middle consumer who is also struggling to deal with uh, pretty high inflation. And then, you know, the lower end consumer who always is fighting, you know, sort of hand over fist to to find a way to survive. And I think the high end right now, and you're seeing it in names like Nordstrom, they're just choosing to stay home. Um, I think I think there's a, a, a real cautionary tone in, in that consumer where they're spending their money. It's on needs and not wants. And it's in trade downs as far as opposed to stretch ups. What does that consumer say when they're told that their real wages are inflecting positive? Yeah, I think what they're told and what they feel are, are you know, are two different things. I think that there's a, a broad fear that uh, that, uh, you know, inflationary pressures are c- going to continue. You know, we saw the American Airlines pilots get a huge increase this week, and that's on top of the uh, UPS uh, drivers who got a huge increase last month. Uh, and so we see wage pre- uh, wage pressure continue to to push up that along with full employment, you know, means we're going to continue to see inflationary pressure. And I think the high end consumer then, you know, sort of it, it interprets that as, uh, you know, continued interest rate pressures from the, well, let's go to the other side of the coin. I mean, when you hear the dollar generals at a multi-year low dollar tree, multi- I mean, these are typically stocks that hold up in this environment and they're trading awful. More importantly, the commentary is worse. Does that mean anything? It does. And if you, you really, if you look at, at Dollar Tree and, and, and tear that apart, they actually had reasonably good growth on the top line. But because of their shift that they're seeing into their consumable business, um, again, which is needs and not wants, uh, that's a lower margin product. And it puts pressure on their margins. And it's really hammering their bottom line. And they're they're seeing that continue. Uh, they also cited Shrink along with Target and Dix and several others. So, you know, it's 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 rough going out there. And we've really not seen this combination of high inflation and, you know, recessionary threat in the past. And I think that's what that's what's driving it. Bill, I'm curious to know what you make of all the shrink discussion. Some argue it's an easy way, like the weather, for retailers to hide their mistakes. Uh, is it overstated, understated? You know, probably both of those. You're probably both right. It is. It is sort of the the, the excuse excuse du jour. Uh, once somebody cites it, everybody else goes, "Yeah, you know, we're we're feeling it too." <laughs> um, and I and I and I sort of feel like that. But if you really just think about how much you know three percent shrink at Target is, I mean, or you know even Dicks, those that's like train loads, uh, multiple train loads of product just disappearing. And it's hard to imagine that 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 is just poor management. And so I, I do think that there's an increase in 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 uh, sort of organized re- retail theft out there. We've seen it. We've seen the pictures of it. You know, retailers, just like everything else, have to figure out how to deal with it. It's not an excuse. It's just a fact. 
and they've got to figure out how to protect themselves and, and still find a way to service customers. So it's an excuse, but it's real. Hey, Bill, we just had that graphic up. You saw Starbucks, you saw Disney, you saw Nike. And, you know, listen, at least investors are, are speaking with their wallets right here. Those stocks act very, very poorly. And I wouldn't put them at like the high end discre- consumer discretionary. I'd put them at more of an aspirational. And so you have these three buckets that you were just talking about as far as retailers. What are investors saying about them right now that, that maybe there is some of that higher end discretionary, but it really is. It could be aspirational in some of those middle zones, because to me as an investor, I find their performance very poor right now and flying in the face of some of the commentary we're hearing about wages and, and unemployment and the like. Yeah, I think you guys were talking about it earlier. It's, it's, it's everything. So many macro issues that are, that are disrupting what was a, a pretty stable consumer for a lot of years. You know, things like the, you know, that group of companies you just mentioned would be the ones that would be impacted by, for example, the college loan repayment uh, resumption there. So I think investors look at that and they go, uh, we don't know how that consumer is going to behave. Are they still going to go buy their, you know, $7 latte when they have to repay their loan? So maybe they won't. Uh, so we'll pass on them for now until we see what's going to happen. So I think there's a whole lot of people who just don't know what's going to happen, who are reacting to, to what they think the consumer will do. Bill, really appreciate you helping us uh, put a coda on this crazy week for retail in general. It's good to see you. You bet. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, let's trade this one. Tim, any of this look enticing? Well, the, yeah, it looks enticing from both sides of the market. First of all, Bill stressing needs, not wants. I mean, that's that's Walmart. And, and I don't care um, if it's trading expensive to itself. That's a place you're going to be happy on on the uh, on the the wants. Uh, Lululemon's a name I threw out there as a short yesterday. I'm short Nike. Um, Lululemon is, is going to be flat year over year on EPS. In 24, a lot of the street says suddenly they're going to grow EPS by 30 to 40 percent. I just don't see it. Uh, and, and trading at 35 to 40 times forward, if you do that, um, is, is harder for me to believe. So uh, great company. I understand the international growth. I understand that they, they actually have uh, uh, substantial digital sales and DTC themselves. But is this an environment? Is everything we're saying, is the consumer getting better? Are margins getting better? Um, and, and I don't think so. And, and I looked at the chart at, at Lulu, too, and I just felt like, you know, it was flatlining in the 370 to 390 range. I don't think it hurts you to the upside. Interesting. You know, one of the Excel side calls today defending, I think it was Dollar Tree, argued they're kind of insulated from e-commerce because so much of their customers pay in cash, yeah. which you can't do online. Yeah. But that wasn't enough. You know, Tim just mentioned, like, like the technicals. Uh, you know, if you look at Nike, you know, that $100 level it broke below is a huge level. If you look at Starbucks, 95 just broke below today, huge level. And I know that we were just talking before about Disney. That $80 level was like an intraday low in the throes of the pandemic. Back to where you're saying, Carl, where... Everything was shut down. So some of the biggest brands, you know, consumer brands, um, they're acting very poorly in the stock market and and both technically they've just broken down. We do have a news alert uh, tonight on Hawaiian Electric. Our Bertha Coombs has that. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Carl. Maui County is suing Hawaiian Electric and the lawsuit claiming that the company failed and negligently failed to shut off power despite exceptionally high winds and dry conditions. According to the lawsuit, uh, warnings and de- had the utility heated weather center warnings and de-energizer power lines during the predicted high wind gusts. This destruction could have been avoided. Now, the lawsuit doesn't offer a number in terms of what they're looking for in terms of uh, damages, but they are talking about 
not just the loss of property, but also the loss of tax revenue and also a productivity loss. So this could really be a huge number. Meantime, uh, coincidentally today, Hawaiian Electric also suspending its dividend, saying in a statement, we're doing everything we can to support all of those who have been impacted and help Maui recover, saying that they now expect 95 percent of customers in the affected areas will have had their power restored by the end of this week. Carl. Such a tough story, Bertha. Thanks, uh, Bertha Coombs. Coming up, NVIDIA's blowout quarter and its fall back to earth, sending shockwaves in the options pits, the outsized action, and where traders see the stock going from here straight ahead. Plus, as the UAW threatens to go on strike, we'll break down how much pain this might cause for the auto stocks, which have already been suffering this summer. Fast Money's back in a moment. Welcome back to Fast Money. NVIDIA shares rocketed to an all-time high at the open before closing the day, just barely in the green. All this action on the back of the chip giant's blowout earnings. The options volume for NVIDIA exploded today, and traders betting on more gains ahead. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, it traded almost two and a half times its average daily options volume. That made it the busiest single stock that traded today. So we did see calls outpacing puts by about three to two and excluding options that expire tomorrow. The busiest contract were the weekly 500 strike calls that expire a week from tomorrow. We saw about 34,000 of those trading for about $8.12 a share on average, risking about 1.7% of the current stock price on bets that the stock could retest those highs that we saw overnight. Uh, Mike, thanks. Of course, uh, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, will the auto workers go on strike? More on today's vote deadline and what it might mean for the legacies like Ford and GM when Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Today is the final day for UAW members to vote on a strike authorization with contracts set to expire in about three weeks. Shares of the big three automakers under pressure today. GM leads the losses down two. Our Phil Lebeau joins us tonight with a, a look at what we might get some results on this vote. Phil. It won't be tonight, Carl. The union shops, and there are dozens of these around the country, they are finishing up their votes. Some have already wrapped them up, but a lot of them are wrapping them up today. So here's what we expect. All the big three local shops have to finish by the end of today. Over 90% of the members are expected to approve a strike authorization. If it's less than 90%, people will be surprised. The results, they're going to be announced tomorrow at 11 a.m. by the head of the UAW, Sean Fain, he will be doing a Facebook Live where he says, hey, here are the results, and he will once again be hammering what they want. And there really are four, three, four things. They want a 40% pay increase through 2027, including 20% immediately. Cost of living adjustments, they haven't been in the contract for at least a decade. And then you've got job guarantees, which they always are looking for. And instead of a 40-hour work week, they want a 32-hour work week. As you take a look at shares of GM, Ford and Stellantis over the last six months. We cannot say this enough. Most people look at these stocks and they say, I'm not touching them until we see a resolution and we know what the labor costs are going to be over the next four years. Separate from that, then, is the question of how do they fund the transition to electric vehicles, which, by the way, Carl, is front and center in these negotiations. It takes fewer people to build an electric vehicle. The UAW knows that. Everybody knows that. So, do, if you're the UAW, you want those job guarantees. That is at the heart of a lot of the negotiation. Uh, we'll wait for those uh, numbers tomorrow morning. Phil, thanks for that. Let's, uh, let's trade it, Guy. Uh, do you agree with the view among some that Stellantis is the most at risk of the three? 
all three of them have been awful. Stellantis probably only because they're in that third position between GM and they throw Tesla in there as well. So, yes, they have a problem. But look over the last 25 years in terms of the stocks. I mean, you can make an argument the last 10 years have been the best ever for automakers, yet these stocks have gone nowhere. GM's the same price it was when I was in high school, effectively, and so is Ford. That's a problem. I don't think this resolution is going to do anything to help the stocks. Guys? Well, I think it's likely that the union gets what it wants simply because it's the perfect time to strike. You have high inflation, you have a tight labor force, you still have supply chain issues, which just means that does this make the legacy automakers increasingly uncompetitive versus the internationals, which have labor costs about $10 less an hour, and Tesla, another $10 less. So I think that is an issue for margins as we look forward. Tim, we have been able to avoid the worst case at at companies like UPS. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if, if it's a 32-hour work week, you know, welcome to France. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> I, 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 look, I've owned GM for a long time, and I look at four and a half times trailing, and I've been wrong. I, I mean, I, I look at the profitability in the last quarter, the reaffirmation, the, 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 the free cash flow generation, and, and this, this stock is extremely attractive to me, even though we know their ICE business is slowly winding down, and we don't know what's going on with EV. Uh, I'm going to tell you, it's very frustrating, and I'm not going to tell people to rush out and buy these stocks. I agree it's an overhang, but they've proven they've never been run better. And and I think these labor costs are are absolutely priced in. All right, Uh, guys, interesting. We'll see again what the UAW authorization says tomorrow. Coming up next, your final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. Carl, thanks for joining us. Uh, Guy, short stay in the wind column for the Yanks. And Boeing, you got to buy this weakness. We've heard this noise before. Uh, 200's your stop. Uh, Cameron? Healthcare ETF, a little bit of a cheap defensive. Uh, Dan? Yes, Semi. I think they're probably going to have a difficult couple months here, so I remain a seller of the SMH. You had fun. Admitted you had fun. Always, always. But usually on the shows where you're here as well. What are the chances that Faber's watching right now? Uh, 20%. 20%. By the 20% chance that he's watching, <laughs> David, your Mets are miserable. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you can tell in the morning that he's just not a happy guy. So maybe turn that frown upside down, David Faber. By the way, in terms of turning things upside down, look at Marathon Petroleum. All-time high in an energy stock, CQ, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Really good uh, to be here. Had a lot of fun, as always. Thanks for watching Fast Money. As you know, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.